you for joining us for the Help for Wounded Spirits broadcast. We exist to help those wounded and suffering through life's trials. Here is our host and best-selling author, Doug Carriger. Great to be back with you, folks. I certainly hope this finds you well and in the arms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We continue on. So as I had mentioned to you earlier in the week, this is a week that I had surgery. So I'm playing some sermons and some information I was able to put out in Bemidji, Minnesota. And we're going to go ahead and start one right now for you. Hang with us. And uh, I want to talk to you this morning. And I, You know how you always pray, God, what do you have for me to speak to folks about? Uh, where can I come or, you know, to you guys and help you? What can be a blessing? And you really want God to talk to you. So I am going to preach uh, this morning a little bit about some folks and PTSD and things people have been through. But before I do that, how many people, I am not, I got to start by telling this story that I am not a Yankees fan. Are there any Yankees fans here? So this is a Yankees, good, praise God, you guys are with me there. Uh, Kirby Puckett all the way, man. Uh, Yeah, I remember when the the Twins were the only ones beating the Yankees years ago. I've been a Red Sox fan, so I know misery, but I also know the mountaintop, so Red Sox started getting good about 15 years ago. But many years ago, uh, there was a player who played for the New York Yankees. His name was Mickey Mantle. Some consider him the best baseball player of that 1960s, late 50s, 60s era. Mickey was known for being able to get on base. He could hit anything. He was a Uh, He was a great home run hitter. As a matter of fact, the year that Roger Maris hit the most home runs in history up until uh, Hank Aaron took care of that without steroids, praise God. But anyway, uh, Roger Maris hit 61, and I believe Mickey had like 55. So, and that's before the ball was juiced. So these guys were great ball players. And George Steinbrenner, the new owner of the Yankees at that time, came along and he wanted Mickey Mantle to get along with his new manager, a guy named Billy Martin. And for those of you guys who follow baseball, it's a real weird uh, dynamic that happened between Billy Martin and everybody who played for him. Billy was just kind of a nutty guy. And so George Steinbrenner got together with Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle and said, listen, you guys got to get along. Mickey, you're my star. Uh, Billy, you're the new manager here. We got to do something. You guys got to get along. So he, he told them, I'll pay for you guys to go on a hunting trip. They both like hunting. And Mickey Mantle realized that he, he was friends and knew the owner of the largest ranch in Texas. So they were going to go out to the largest ranch in Texas with this guy's permission and go hunting. So sure enough, they got out there, they got their rifles, and they drove up to this ranch. And Mickey said, wait a minute, to Billy Martin. He went inside the house, and uh, the fellow in the house is like, we're going to feed you supper. It's going to be a great day. And by the way, this is from the biography of the New York Yankees. It's going to be a, a, a great day. You guys hunt for whatever you want, but I need to ask you to do me a favor. He says, my family and I have had a mule for 17 or 18 years. He's got arthritis. He can barely walk, and, and we just can't take it upon ourselves to shoot this mule and take him out of his misery. Would you go ahead and do that for me? So Mickey gets out to the car, and again, this is a true story. It's not a joke, and he tells Billy Martin, he says, he's not going to let us hunt. I can't believe the dog invited us out here and told us all that he was going to let us hunt and all that he's going to do. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to stop over there and shoot a mule just to teach that guy a lesson. So he drives around to the barn back there, and there's a mule in the backyard, and uh, Mickey gets out of the car, and he shoots the mule. And uh, just when he gets done shooting the mule, he puts his rifle down, and he hears bang, bang. (laughs) So he runs back to the car, 
Billy Martin got in the car and, and said, you got that mule, I want you to know that I got two of the steers. He said, we tore him. And uh, anyway, the moral of that story is uh, uh, truth always matters, I guess. And uh, uh, cost the New York Yankees, even in that time, about $2,000 to pay for the steers. And, and, uh, but just funny people in this world. If you could open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, the book of Mark, we're going to be in chapter 5. The last verse in chapter 4 in the book of Mark kind of transitions everything that happened. So we know in chapter 4 we have the parable of the sower, and there's a lot going on there, but essentially the Lord is, is out there, and he's given the parable of the sower. He says, you know, we put the seed out, and he talks about all the things that happen when we put the seed out. We know the seed's the word of God. He said, sometimes we throw the seed out there, and it grows a little bit, and it burns up, and sometimes we throw the seed out there, and the fowls of the air come along and eat it up, and sometimes we throw the seed out there, and, it, and God gets a hold of it, and it just grows. And isn't it great when God grows us, when the seed of God gets thrown out there and God grows us? And then somewhere in the middle, it, it talks about, so the Lord teaches us, he says, you know, we don't take a candle and put a bushel over it. And I've often thought about that and what the meaning is there in chapter four to all of us. And, and I believe God is telling us we don't take the light of God that should be shining through every one of us. We don't take that light and cover it up with sin. We don't take the light of God and put something over it to quench that light, that that light should automatically come from us. And in Sunday school this morning, uh, we quoted, uh, it was quoted, Spurgeon was quoted, how, uh, you know, some of the, sometimes the only Bible people have is us. Well, we don't want to take a bushel and put it over the light of God that's supposed to shine through us. We want people to see God working through us and working on us and changing us and ever moving, and that was a good Sunday school lesson. Then we get to chapter 4, and then we know that the Lord gets done preaching there on the shore from his ship on the Sea of Galilee, and they're getting ready to make a diagonal crossing and to go over there to the, the country of Gadara and uh, to, the, to the people of the Gadarenes. But before they do that, the Lord teaches them again, and then we're told they start to cross over the Sea of Galilee in chapter 4. And as they're crossing over the Sea of Galilee, there's a great storm out there and winds and, and, and there's water beating into boats and all those different things going on. And, and there were all these other little boats that left to follow the Lord. They wanted to hang out with them and they all took off and ran. And man, when the storms of life show up, there's only a few things that happen. Sometimes people run. Sometimes people get caught in a storm. Uh, sometimes people just go to God and say, get me through this storm. And I I believe there's a lesson there. Then in that final verse of chapter 4, it says, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Those disciples got together and they saw him heal. Peter's mother-in-law, they saw miracles take place. They, here they are walking with their Lord and Savior everywhere they go. They said, Who is this guy? And, and how is he able to do this? You know, that day that he stilled the Sea of Galilee, I remember us standing in front of the Sea of Galilee and looking at it one day and, and, and saying to the tour guide, I said, it was just bouncing all over the place. It's about 600 feet below sea level. And one side is deserty. The other side, I mean, there's winds all the time. It's always rocking all over the place. It's about the size of uh, the territory of Guam that we have. And there's, there's waves and there's craziness going on. And I said to the guy, I said, how often does that thing get still? How often does it flatten out? He asked me what today's date was, and I think it was November, somewhere in the 90s. And, uh, and he said to me, about every 2,000 years. So 
So only God can still the Sea of Galilee. So in perspective, we know that the disciples get out there and they're like, whoa, this guy can still the Sea of Galilee. You know, what manner of man is this? Well, he's not a man. He's a God. And then we see in chapter 5, starting in verse 1, if you want to stand with me for the reading of God's word today, that's okay. If not, it's all right. And uh, if you cannot, I'm just going to read a couple verses by way of introduction. And it says in chapter 5 and verse 1, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, unto the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, was out of the, when he come out of the ship, meaning Christ, when Christ came out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Dear God, we love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are in the midst of us. Oh, God, please do a work in our hearts. I pray, Lord, if there's something on my tongue or in my vocabulary that would not bring honor and glory to you, God, that you would strike that from me, and that only the things you would want said would be said here this morning. I beg you, Lord, if there's someone among us who's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, oh, Lord, that you would save them today, and we'd be quick to give you the honor and glory. You alone can save. Lord, I wonder if there's those among us this morning who are physically and mentally and spiritually hurting and tired. God, we need you. Would you reach down and touch us on this day? Would you wrap your arms of protection about us? We love you and we need you in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So here we go. We got Christ. He crosses diagonally across the Sea of Galilee. We know along the way that he was asleep on the pillow, that his, his disciples woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Do you even care whether or not we die? They had no idea how much he cared whether or not they died. He said, do you even care? And, uh, and the Lord said, peace be still. Isn't it great that we serve a God that to this day can say, peace be still, and everything gets still. And that peace comes along. And they cross the sea, and they get over. There's a ministry on the other side of the sea. It's funny how there's obstacles in life that keeps us in the way of the ministry. On this day, it was those other little ships following Christ, and they turned around and ran. And there's obstacles in our lives, isn't there? There's storms in our life that comes along. And you know, the, the challenge on the journey is, is, is not the storms, it's how we get through the storms and how God shows us what he does in our lives. So the, the journey's great. Sometimes there's storms. The journey, sometimes there's hills. There's trials, isn't there? There's trials in life. We know those trials. We, we know if you're, if you're not in a trial right now, you just came out of one or you're getting ready to go in one. But it's okay because God tells us that it works patience in our life. God tells us that it helps us get closer to him. God tells us it changes some things. So, so we know these trials, these storms, these hard things. We, we know a couple things about them. We know that trials, number one, bring us closer to God. Trials, number two, help us bring others closer to God. So when those trials come, when those hard things come, when those things happen that make no sense, they don't happen because of us, but God allows us in his great sovereignty and his great love allows us to benefit from them as we come out the other end, as long as our perspective's right. So here they go. They cross the sea, and immediately we're told, so this ship ends here at the ministry in Gadara. The ship pulls up to shore. They get out of the ship, and immediately there met him. Immediately there was a guy out of the tombs. He lived in the cemeteries. He lived in the bad spot. Here's a guy from the bad part of town. Here's a guy whose life upside down. Immediately he meets Christ. Hey folks, we'll be right back with you. Hang with us. Doug will return shortly. 
Meanwhile, you're hearing this music while radio stations are identifying themselves and broadcasting advertisements. ship something changed that day you know uh, the Holy Spirit lured them there maybe the storm maybe the water getting flat maybe seeing one ship cross over maybe knowing this is my only chance and what does it tell us about this guy it said who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him no not with chains and they go on to tell us here's a guy who lived in the cemeteries we we've tried to handcuff him we've tried to shackle him but no man could do that can I tell you, the devil is strong this morning. He's nowhere as strong as God. He's not omnipotent. The devil is ubiquitous. He, he bounces off the media. He bounces off the things in life. He bounces off each other. He's not omnipotent, but there's some strength and evil in there. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And live with that, friends. Just remember the Holy Spirit of God within you is greater than anything else you'll ever experience, any trial, any trauma. And then it says here, as we move along in verse 4, because he had been often bound with these fetters and chains, and these chains, they've been plucked asunder by him. He's, he's undone them, and the fetters broken into pieces, neither could any man tame him. Over in the book of Luke, it tells us this guy's naked. Can you imagine this guy's situation? He lives in the tombs. His life's been upside down. People have tried to handcuff him. People have tried to shackle him. People have tried to make his world different, and they can't. He just keeps on plucking them asunder. His life's upside down. He's running around naked. I don't know about you, but I don't like naked people around me. We got a rule in our house. We will not go to Walmart after 10 o'clock at night, man. It just, it doesn't matter. We're not doing it. It's, uh, it's inherent. It's, uh, it's been one of those precepts we live by in our life. No Walmart after 10 o'clock at night. And, uh, we just don't want to see naked. We live in South Carolina. See, up here, you're, you're more apt to see people wearing clothes. Even though we did see a weird guy on the street corner this morning. He had shorts and tights on out there uh, uh, across from Starbucks. He was a weird dude. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> I said that in one church one time, and a guy was in church, so I'll move on from there. Uh, we got a guy. Folks, listen, you don't live in a cemetery unless that's all you can get. You don't live in the tombs unless that's all that's available to you. You know, people look at this guy and they say, man, his situation is pretty hopeless. His life is pretty upside down. I mean, he's living in the cemetery. He's living in the tombs. And we know that they kept these tombs. They put Christ's body in a tomb. We know that these tombs are there until they get ready to bury him. They, in Jewish tradition, they got him to the tombs as quick as they possibly could. There was some level of embalming, but it usually didn't take place. So here's a guy who's living in a tomb that smelt at the very least of dead people. And here's a guy whose life, so he, he had that smell on him. He's walking around naked. He's walking around upside down. And the situation gets worse in verse number five. So we got this hopeless guy. We got this guy whose life is upside down. And then in verse, time, verse five, it says, and always night and day, he was crying and cut himself with stones. Folks, he was a cutter. And he was crying. You want to talk about a guy always. It's talking about his waking hours. When you saw this guy, his life was so bad that he was crying and cutting himself with stones. His world was upside down. And he's trying to cut him. You want to talk about a guy who's trying to get attention, I think? Or you want to talk about a guy who's just trying to check out? There's so many things you can say about this guy. So we got a naked guy. They tried to handcuff and shackle him. 
without a doubt, everybody in town is saying, hey, listen to me, listen to what I'm telling you, stay away from this guy. Can you imagine the talk you have with your kids? Stay away from the naked guy in front of Walmart. Say, if he comes this way, you go that way. Now, this guy's world is upside down. It's being rocked. Everything's sideways. But he knew enough to go to Christ that day. And in verse 6, but when he saw Jesus, afar off he ran and worshipped him. Isn't that what our lives are all about? Running and worshipping Jesus? Here's this guy. He's, his life's upside down. It says he had an unclean spirit in that term there. And the, uh, a man with an unclean spirit, I believe in verse 2, is talking about a man possessed by the devil. Now, folks, I've got some great news for you. God will not share your heart with anybody else. If the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling within you, great news, nothing else goes in that heart. You can't have clean and unclean in the same place. But here's a guy who wasn't saved. And, and let me tell you, folks, no matter whether we want to say it or believe it or not, uh, we can be possessed by demons if we're not saved. We are these earthly creatures who can, are, are, all these kind of things can come upon us. But here's a guy, he runs to Christ. And the prompting he's receiving is from his heart. He's in a literal battle. Aren't we in a literal battle when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? And, and folks, I believe we're in a battle daily for our joy. I believe we're in a battle daily uh, for serving God, our marriages, our families, because the if, if the devil can't have our souls, he wants our families. He wants our relationships. He wants our joy. He wants our business world, uh, our businesses. He wants to blow all those things away. And, but he cries with a loud voice, the Bible says. He says, Jesus, what do I have to do with thee, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. He goes there and he realizes he's God, I'm not. And God, what are you going to do with me? Where am I going from here? Can you imagine that conversation? You're God. I'm a possessed God. I'm naked. My life's upside down. Can you imagine the, the wounds on him from cutting himself? And Debbie and I work with cutters as we go around and work with people with PTSD. There's, and, and some people cut themselves, and they say as they cut themselves, to, it makes them, they want to hurt themselves so they feel better or, or it releases stress and all those types of things. We always tell people, your body is a temple of God. Treat it that way. You're, you, you are a temple of a holy living God. And, and as we show people that, hey, I believe in self-esteem. I believe in self-worth. I believe in self-image. I believe in every self thing. But when we get saved, we can take self and cross it out and put God image. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. But you that's unbelievable. When you're a guy who's crying and cutting yourself with stones and you realize that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, it changes things. When you're somebody who's cutting yourself, when you're somebody who has no worth, no value, and you realize that your value is so important to God, you were bought with a price. When you realize that, man, things change. God, and so we're constantly trying to introduce people to Christ and say, God loved you so much that he died for you. He sent his son to die for you. And, and, uh, and look what it says in verse 8, for he said unto him, come out of the man. So he looks at the, God just looks at this guy and says, come out of him, you unclean spirit. It's all done. Then this dialogue takes place and things start to happen. And verse 9, and he asked him, he said, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. So in the American military, we, we, we have our military set up in this manner. And uh, so we have a squad as the smallest, individual is the smallest element, Squad is the next smallest element. Then we have five squads in a platoon. 
Then we have five platoons in a company. Then we have five companies in a battalion. Then we have five battalions in a brigade. Then we have five brigades in a division, five divisions in a corps, five corps in an army. And nowhere along the way do we call anything legion, but in the foreign military around the country, they have legions. And legions fall somewhere between a brigade and division. There are about 5,000 people, sometimes 6,000 people in France and some of those places that we've lived. And, 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 and so they have these legions, and he's pointing out, he's saying, there's a whole bunch of us. My name is Legion, for we are many. He says, I represent a bunch of people who are crying and cutting themselves with stones. I represent a lot of people whose lives are upside down. I represent a lot of people who aren't feeling great about themselves. There's a whole legion of us out there. And, and for those of us who study the Hellenization period or what some people would. Hey, folks, we appreciate you being with us. We're going to come back right where we left off today. Make sure you come back tomorrow. We're so honored that you tuned us in. Please know we're praying for you and put a prayer up for us. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to our broadcast. At Help for Wounded Spirits, we believe the Bible and place great importance on you having a personal relationship with your Lord and Savior. The Bible delivers a clear and simple message of salvation, outlining how you can begin your personal relationship now. First, recognize that you are a sinner, as all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Second, understand that there is a cost to our sin, as the wages of sin is death. Third, realize that Jesus alone paid that price. To receive salvation, simply ask the Lord to save you in Jesus' name while believing in your heart that He alone can save you, and He will. If we can help you with your salvation or to direct you to a local church, please do not hesitate to contact us. For additional helpful resources, including our new TV series, more information, or to donate and support this crucial ministry, please visit us at WoundedSpirits.com. May God bless you.